This is the Sound Health Options Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards can't be with us today because she had a family emergency to take with care of. So it'll be just myself and Dr. Gundry, Dr. Stephen Gundry, MD. Uh, an amazing story and a stupendous cookbook. But a couple of announcements first. This is going to be one of those shows that I know that you're going to want to find again and listen to. And the easiest way to do that is about 10 to 15 minutes after we end this show, you'll be able to go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, then click on the Blog Talk Radio archive player, and the last five shows will be there. You'll also be able to go out about an hour or two, typically it takes, uh, to either iTunes or Pocket Casts or Dogcatcher or the aggregator, your podcast player of your choice, and search for Sherry Edwards in our over... I think we're verging on 750 shows now. Um, but you'll be able to search for Sherry Edwards on any of those and find this most recent show. And this is definitely, we've interviewed Dr. Gundry before about the, the original book, The Plant Paradox, and talking about health and longevity. And this new cookbook is such a great addition because, well, I'll say this again <laughs> when we get the doctor on, but I'll say this now that this is one of those books that I would hand to somebody and say, here, try this. You're going to like this food and not tell them it's good for them. Just cook like this. Try this, you know, because the recipes are really wonderful. But I do have one announcement. I'm trying to stick in the uh, positive uh, lately. And, of course, it'll be about environment. As uh, Sherry would say, I do have a thing for the environment. The good news is that the Farm Bill, well, the title of the article is, Farm Bill Harmful to Endangered Species and Conservation Fails in-House. And so this bill, which would have given the EPA, or I should say Scott Pruitt's EPA, the ability to prove new pesticides without assessing their impact on wildlife protected under the Endangered Species Act. Now, that's one thing, but to me, if they're not testing them about the impact on wildlife, that means that they're not testing them probably on the effect that they'll have on us on a long-term effect because it's one planet. We're all here together. We're not just harming animals. We're harming ourselves. So this would have also cut funding for a wonderful thing called Land Conservation Program, which actually is a strong farm bill for farmers to have incentives to to give farmers incentives and ranchers more of a free hand in protecting American grasslands and wildlife habitats. So this bill now will go back and be rewritten, and hopefully we'll keep an eye on it so that we really pay attention to what we're doing. I mean, there's only one planet, and there's, you know, let's try and be kinder. That would be really great. Um I think that's it. Anybody has questions in chat, feel free to type them in. You can get to the uh, chat for Blog Talk Radio by, again, going to soundhealthoptions.com. 
Click on the radio tab and then click on Blog Talk Radio, and the link will be there to bring you to Blog Talk Radio. And if you have a free account, uh, that's all you need, you'll be able to sign in, and then when you join us, you'll be in chat. And uh, I will post show notes and things that I refer to, because I'll refer to a number of links for the doctor. I lost my place there for a moment. Okay, there we go. Um, No longer satisfied with repairing the damage of chronic cardiovascular diseases, Dr. Stephen Gundry founded and has served as medical director of the International Heart and Lung Institute in Palm Springs, California, which serves patients referred from across the nation. He's also founder and director of the Center for Restorative Medicine, part of the Institute. Its mission is to prevent and reverse the chronic diseases of aging with diet and nutraceutical interventions, using surgical intervention for heart and vascular disease as a last resort. Dr. Gundry joins us to talk with us about the plant paradox in his new book, The Plant Paradox Cookbook. Good morning, Dr. Gundry. Thanks for having me on, Richard. Um, I really, as I, we talked a little bit backstage about the fact that I really thought your, think your cookbook is great. And for new listeners, I was a chef for 20 years. Uh, not that that means anything other than I'm not afraid of being burned or cut. And it's really, you know, it's, it's so well done uh, in terms of, as I, as I said, I really mean it that I could hand this, I could rip out some of the pages that talk about the health benefits and just give them as, as a cookbook and say, here, try this. These recipes are really nice. The flavors are really, you know, wonderful. Um, but first, let's talk a little bit about, as a renowned cardiothoracic surgeon, why did lectins become such a focus for you? And was Big Ed the tipping point in your career path? Yeah, definitely Big Ed, uh, unfortunately, changed my life. Um, if I guess if I had not met Big Ed and saw what Big Ed did with, with diet and taking a bunch of supplements from a health food store, uh, I, I really wouldn't have believed that we could, you know, control our destiny you know, with with food or even reverse what would appear to be destiny. You know, I was taught, and most of my colleagues still believe that things like heart disease, like hardening of the arteries, uh, is inevitable in most people eating a Western diet, and that you know, people like me as a surgeon, you know, thank goodness that you know we had the tools to bypass blocked arteries. And uh, in my career, I became famous for reoperating on people who clogged them up again and again and again. In fact, the uh, one person I actually, it was the ninth reoperation on that person that I did wow. with, which I don't recommend. Um, and, but, you know, we tell people that, well, you know, we'll see you in five or seven years and we'll do this all over again. And why didn't, you know, I or my colleagues say, you know, maybe if you change something about you know, the food that went through your mouth, uh, you wouldn't have to do this. Well, we were taught that really it wouldn't make that much difference. And we also were taught that, oh, if you get to be eh, 60 or 70, that, you know, your your ways are fixed and there's no no need to 
tell you to change how you're going to eat because you, you simply won't. And one of the things that occurred to me in the last 17 years is that it's actually never too late to make uh, dietary changes. In fact, if we get a chance, I'll tell you about my 101-year-old uh, patient who made a change at age 100 and had some remarkable health benefits, even at 101. Wow. All right. That I, I have to ask right away. <laughs> Tell us. <clears throat> I have another question, but I need to know about that 100-year-old patient. I'm not that old. Well, I'm close. Staying in. Well, well, that's it, amazing. It, it actually it, it gets down to lectins. So maybe it's a good way to introduce the subject of lectins. So um, anyhow, uh, this, uh, this young woman uh, has had horrible rheumatoid arthritis all her life. And she's a remarkable woman. Uh, she's basically crippled with a rheumatoid arthritis, you know, typical kind of bent hands and her, her feet were so gnarled up that I actually, when I met her, I, I couldn't believe she was actually able to walk. And, you know, when I met her actually 11 years ago and, and I said, doesn't it, doesn't it hurt? And this is a 90-year-old at that time. And she said, well, yeah, but she said, what am I going to do about it? So I just ignore it. And it's actually, speaking of longevity, one of the, one of the secrets to the super old, that they, they have the ability to basically shrug their shoulders at adversity and just kind of go on. So anyhow, uh, when she turned 100, uh, I said, so, you know, what are, you, what are your plans? And she said, you know, I want to live long enough to see my great-grandchildren graduate from high school. I, that's, that's what I want to do. And I said, well, you know, the kind of the way things are going, I'm, I'm not, not sure you're going to get there. But I'll tell you what, you're 100 now. Why don't you dive, you know, full into my program, you know, the plant paradox, and I want you to eliminate certain foods, and, you know, I'll bet you we're going to see a change. And she said, you know, I'm 100 years old. What the heck? Uh, why not? Uh, and so we did. And this is a woman, we, we check autoimmune markers uh, on everybody every three months, and uh, you can check the markers for rheumatoid arthritis very easily. And she had very positive markers for rheumatoid arthritis in her blood work. And so uh, I saw her a few months ago on her 101st, actually a couple of days after her 101st birthday. And um, the first thing that struck me was her, her hands had actually straightened out considerably. And, I mean, you could see it. And I said, uh, and I looked at her blood work. And her blood work, the markers for rheumatoid arthritis were gone. They were negative. Wow. And I was starting to, I was, yeah, I was starting to tell her about this. And I said, uh, uh, her name is Pearl. I don't think that will give anything away. I said, Pearl. I said, your markers are gone. She said, well, you know, I've got a beef with you. And I said, oh, what's that? And she says, look at this. And she takes her hands and she turns them, fingers pointing down towards the floor. And she has about five rings and all of her rings fall off and fall onto the floor. And she said, look at that. And she said, I used to have really great knuckles that would hold my rings on, uh, but now they've shrunk. 
and all my rings fall off. So I'm going to have to get them resized at 101. And she says, so I said, yeah, but look at your hands. She said, well, she said, I'm joking with you, but she said, I never thought that this could happen. So, you know, at 100 years of age, making a dietary change, she was able to I mean, remarkably repair years and years and years and years of damage to her joints just by taking certain foods out of her diet. And so if she can do it at 101, um, anybody can do it. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I had a grandmother that lived to be 106, and so that's why I, I have the feeling longevity is in my genetic pool. <laughs> it makes me want to pay attention to that. That's that's a great story. That's amazing. Um, I want to jump slightly. I want to get back to lectins, but I want to ask this: yep. Was was Gaylord Hauser right when he said said never eat anything white, never eat white food? In a certain <laughs> yeah, way? you know, it, it's yeah. I think he absolutely was right. He, unbeknownst to me. Um, he became actually quite important in in my thinking after I met uh, the woman who starts all my books, whose name in the book is, is Michelle. Her, her real name is Edith Murray. And uh, I met Edith uh, when uh, she was about 90 years old. And uh, I actually thought she was 65. I actually had to look twice at the chart. I couldn't believe it. And uh, I, I was so dumbfounded. I said, uh, what, are, what are you doing here? And uh, she said, well, you talk just like the guy who changed my life, Gaylord Hauser. And, I, you know, I want you to be my doctor. And I, I really didn't know Gaylord Hauser that well, except for Spike Seasonings and Swiss Crisp. And uh, <laughs> so I said, tell me all about this. She said, well, when I was 20 years old, uh, during the Depression, uh, my parents paid for me to go to one of his uh, conferences. I used to have kind of a, back in the old days, uh, a traveling tent show. And uh, she lived in Portland, Oregon. And he basically said, go home, throw out all white foods, and never eat a white food again. And she actually believed him. And uh, she did, and she buried two husbands, uh, including a doctor who told her her way of eating was nuts. And she actually, uh, she just, uh, she just passed on uh, two weeks shy of her 106th birthday, comfortably, quietly. Um, was I have a picture of her at 105 and a half with my Plant Paradox book. Um, strode into the office, big full head of hair, um, just full of life. And anyhow, I started studying Gaylord Hauser. She gave me all his books. And mm. uh, it's, it's amazing what this guy was able to do. He, he's an interesting fellow. He was a self-taught nutritionist. He cured himself of uh, tuberculosis of his hip after four failed surgeries. And uh, he he cured himself with food and completely changed his life. Uh, he was a real, he made, a, I think, a mistake. He called himself a doctor. He, he clearly wasn't, and that got him in trouble mm-hmm. with the American Medical Association. But he was, he was interesting. He was probably the first celebrity nutritionist, and he had 
a huge number of stars. He had clinics in Los Angeles and actually in Palm Springs and New York and Paris and London and Zurich. And uh, he had a line of food products. And uh, he basically you know, preached that it was food that was that could cure you or kill you. And he was absolutely right. I still, to this day, when I have uh, friends who are flu-like or sick, I'll make them uh, old-school Hauser broth, which is basically mm-hmm. just a kind of what I would call a stock, but it's roots, vegetables, and all that. And you steep them for a long time, and then you just have a clear liquid that you can eat, which is high in minerals and all sorts of micronutrients, and you know, good to drink when you're coming back from anything. So, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of the uh, Hauser. Um, I'm going to jump again, then we will get to lectins, I promise everybody. <laughs> did did ancient coastal civilizations have bigger brains than than we do now, typically? Yeah, it's, uh, there's uh, one of my forthcoming books uh, will actually be on on that subject in part. Uh, it's it's fascinating. You, you look at uh, large brain animals. And when you talk about that, you, you talk about brain size to body size. And the largest brain to body size animals are actually all uh, aquatic animals in one way or another. And, or they either were in evolution or still are. So, uh, Humans and dolphins actually have remarkably similar brain to body size. We have the biggest. Uh, great apes do pretty well, but they pale in comparison to us or dolphins. Um, elephants, believe it or not, have a very large brain, and most people don't know they're actually an aquatic animal. One of the best studies that's ever been done is look at um, marine otters uh, versus uh, river uh, otters. And they're actually the same species. Marine otters have a huge brain compared to river otters because uh, river otters eat uh, river fish and not ocean fish. And, uh, of course, uh, the sea otter eats primarily abalone. Uh, which is a shellfish with huge amounts of omega-3 fats. And our brain, our brain is about 70% fat, any animal's brain is. And half of that fat is an omega-3 long-chain fat called uh, DHA. And you have to acquire DHA from marine sources, um, like fish, like, like shellfish or great sources. And we have a very poor ability to manufacture DHA out of short-chain omega-3 fats like, for instance, flaxseed oil. And I have a large number of vegan patients who I take care of because of my experience at Loma Linda. And when we measure their long-chain omega-3 fats like DHA and EPA, they're, they're basically, they have none despite the fact that they drink huge amounts of flaxseed oil in the hopes that they'll manufacture some. And they're, they're absolutely startled when they see that they, after all these years, thinking that they were going to make long-chain fats like DHA, that they weren't. 
So getting back to it, uh, we were coastal dwelling uh, people, and that's how we build brains. Now, I, I get a kick out of my colleagues in the paleo community saying, no, we have big brains because we were chasing down antelope out on the savannas of Africa, and that's why we have big brains. Well, it turns out there are no big brain creatures uh, out on the savanna. There are no big-brained carnivores on the savanna. There are no big-brained tigers or lions or hyenas. They all have small brains because they don't get the basic building blocks of long-chain omega-3s that you get from ocean fish and ocean shellfish. So, yeah, you actually, our brain size up until the agricultural revolution was about uh, 15% bigger than it is today. Our mm. brains have actually shrunk. Yeah, unfortunately. Wow. So does that mean that grizzly bears have big brains? Grizzly you bears know? actually have pretty good-sized brains. Yeah, they do. But they're not one of, they're not one of the best, uh, but they do have big brains. Okay. So I just in in my mind I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of footage I follow a lot of nature photographers and I see a lot of bears in the river eating fresh salmon and I'm thinking oh they maybe they have really big brains wow um, now now we'll dive in in, in the lab oh, okay. what are the two of the top ways to create heart disease in the lab. Well, um, you can, it's, you know, in the lab, we can make heart disease in animals, um, believe it or not, by giving them certain substances. And one of my favorite stories is uh, the peanut lectin. Uh, I get a lot of controversy in, in talking about these studies, but they're there. Um, so let's, we'll dive into lectins. Lectins uh, are... Uh, proteins that are what are called sticky proteins. They uh, like to bind to particular sugar molecules, and they are in search of particular sugar molecules to bind to. And lectins are one of the main plant defense systems uh, against being eaten. And it always surprises people to realize uh, that plants also have a life, and they're subject to evolutionary forces just like animals, and they want to survive, and they want their babies, their seeds to survive. So they, believe it or not, don't want to be eaten. And so they use the lectins as a way to harm their predators, either by making their predators feel bad or hurt or in the case of insects, paralyzing them. And lectins are one of the ways they do this. And if you were paralyzed as an insect eating particular plant, that's a pretty good defense system against uh, being eaten. Or if you felt bad or didn't thrive while eating certain plants, you would probably go eat something else. And so we've had a long, long experience uh, eating lectin-containing plants. And interestingly, as I, as I talk about the plant paradox, we've built up through the years uh, a pretty impressive defense system against the lectins in plants. We have mucus. Uh, one of the things that 
people should realize is when they bite into a jalapeno pepper and their nose starts to run, they're actually experiencing one of the defense systems against the lectins in that jalapeno pepper. They're actually producing huge amounts of mucus, uh, which the protein lectin will bind to because mucus is a sugar, mucopolysaccharide. Of course, the plant can never imagine that you would take another bite of a jalapeno pepper. In fact, you mm-hmm. have to be pretty stupid to say, take a second bite of jalapeno pepper, and yet you know, there's a lot of us stupid people out there. So um, getting back to experimental heart disease, you can take uh, red velvet monkeys, you can take rhesus monkeys, and you can give them uh, a diet that contains peanut oil, and peanut oil has a nasty lectin, and you can give half of them the peanut oil that has the peanut lectin in it, and you can give the other half peanut oil in which the lectin has been removed, and you can remove it pretty easily. And the monkeys that are given the peanut oil uh, get pretty impressive coronary artery and vascular disease. And the monkeys that get the lectin-free peanut oil uh, don't. And so you can, and this is, there's actually been three studies that show this. Uh, Recently, actually about two weeks ago, I gave a paper uh, at the American Heart Association vascular biology meeting in San Francisco where for the first time we identified an autoimmune attack on the inner surface of human blood vessels that uh, when we took lectins out of their diet, we could show that this autoimmune attack uh, stopped or considerably lessened. So I think it's the first uh, human confirmation that uh, lectins are uh, a piece of the puzzle of why heart disease occurs. It's actually an attack on the surface of our blood vessels. <sighs> and there was another substance I've heard you mention, and it, it comes from wheat. And it's one that we seem to have stripped out of wheat for years, but I think for not the yep. correct reasons. <laughs> Tell us about yeah, wheat, Jerem. Yeah, good old wheat germ. Um, so wheat germ agglutin is a very is a very small protein. Now, one of the interesting things about lectins are that they're actually quite large proteins. And most people uh, hopefully know that when we eat proteins, um, we break these proteins down into individual amino acids. And these individual amino acids are small enough that we can absorb them through the wall of our gut. But large proteins, uh, like lectins, in in general, are much too big to be uh, absorbed through the wall of our gut, which, in a way, is a good thing. But wheat germagglutin is is very small, and it's very easily absorbed. And there are very good papers that show it is easily absorbed and present uh, in us uh, when we eat whole wheat uh, or whole rye or whole barley. And it's uh, one of the big causes of 
weight gain, among other things. It's one of the big causes of diabetes, and I think it's one of the lectins that is responsible for coronary artery disease, like I just showed in this paper a few weeks ago. And we were, like you said, for most of our experience with wheat for the last 10,000 years, we've been trying to take the hull off of wheat and eat it white. Um, for instance, me, I'm going over to France uh, in a week to give some lectures, and uh, you don't exactly see a lot of whole wheat baguettes or um, croissants over there. And then I'm going to Italy, and you don't see a lot of whole wheat pasta uh, unless you're in a tourist place because, oh, we need the healthy whole wheat pasta. Your Italians roll their eyes. <laughs> but so so they've, been, they've been getting rid of wheat germ agglutinin. Now, did they know why they were doing it? Probably they didn't know wheat germ agglutinin, but they, I suspect that through the years they realized that they were better off getting rid of this. Certainly the same thing happens in Asia. Uh, Four billion people use rice as their staple, and the amazing thing is that 4 billion people go to the trouble of taking the haul off of brown rice and eating their rice white. And, you know, nutritionists say, gosh, you know, those people are so stupid. There's, you know, so many health benefits in brown rice and these stupid people. In fact, the authors of the Okinawan diet, and, you know, the Okinawans are some of the longest living people, actually said in their book, Imagine how much healthier these Okinawans would be if they ate brown rice instead of white rice, because the Okinawans eat white rice. And it, you go, really? You're looking at the, you know, some of the world's oldest people, and you're saying, gosh, they sure would be healthy if they ate brown rice. No, you look at them and say, gee, isn't that interesting? They're eating white rice, and they're really long-lived. I wonder why they're eating white rice. And they've been throwing the hall away for 8,000 years. Because it has the problems in it. It has the lectins. Amazing. <laughs> Truly amazing. Uh, I want to jump back to peanut butter for a second. I, I can't yep. remember if I read or heard you talk about alternative but nut butters, or I'll put nut butters, like let's say tahini or sesame oil, or sesame butter. Are there some things, some creamy, peanut buttery-like textures people can still smear on something? Yeah, I mean, tahini is actually uh, really safe. There isn't, there isn't a lectin in sesame seeds. There isn't a lectin in flax seeds. There isn't a lectin in poppy seeds. Uh, and we could do a deep dive into how plants think. Uh, I don't presume to know how they think, but, I, but people have discovered that plants either protect their babies with a hard outside shell that can't be digested, um, for instance, like a sesame seed or a flaxseed. The flaxseed will go right through you. You have no ability to digest the flaxseed. So when I see all these kind of whole flaxseed crackers, I, I get a chuckle because you're, you're not going to digest those flaxseeds. And the plant wants you to eat those seeds and so that you'll walk away from the plant some distance and poop out their babies with a generous dollop of fertilizer and, uh, you know, help the plant out. But there are other babies that aren't protected, for instance, like 
like wheat, like the grains, that they use lectins to make sure they cause trouble for you so that you won't eat them. Uh, so tahini is, is great. Um, there are some nut butters for most people that are perfectly safe. I'm a big fan of walnut butter or pistachio butter or macadamia nut butter. You, if you get almond butter, the word of caution, I have a number of people with autoimmune diseases where the peel of the almond, that brown skin, uh, does have a lectin, and they definitely react to the peel in, in almonds. There are, believe it or not, peeled almond butters out there. Uh, you can find them on Amazon. You can find them in some health food stores. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, in Spain, the uh, daughters are taught by their mothers, who were taught by their mothers, that you must soak almonds and get the peel off of them because the peel is dangerous. And that's why Marcona almonds, as anyone had them in Spain or locally, are peeled almonds. And quite frankly, that's the only almond that I'll eat. Um, because I've been so impressed with the blood work on some of my autoimmune patients that it's worth getting that peel off of there. Since you mentioned that, would you just briefly mention, because we've sort of, we've talked in, in general terms, in your practice, you actually mention, you actually measure immune markers to confirm people's change in their diet. Could you talk about that a bit? Yeah. Um, over the years, I've, I've been blessed by um, getting to know a lot of laboratories that uh, were able to kind of teach me where there might be interesting markers to look for what our immune system is doing. They're primarily called cytokines. And there are a number of labs that have... Uh, markers for most of the autoimmune diseases. Uh, things like Hashimoto's thyroiditis can be easily detected with immune markers. Lupus, people uh, have heard of anti-nuclear antibody, which is the main marker for lupus, but there's actually four other markers for lupus that, that can be measured. And I won't bore people, uh, double-stranded DNA is one, chromatin. There are markers for Sjogren's syndrome, dry eyes and dry mouth, all those commercials you see on TV for restasis or the dry eyes. That's actually an autoimmune disease, and it's actually easily uh, gotten rid of by getting lectins out of your diet. So uh, through the years, my practice has evolved, and about 50% of my practice is people with autoimmune diseases. And so we can measure these. And... Uh, two months ago at a different American Heart Association uh, meeting in New Orleans, I gave a paper with 102 uh, people with biomarker-proven autoimmune disease who, in six months, by following the plant paradox, 95 out of those 102 people were free of these markers, and they were off all of their immunosuppressants. Uh, so when when I say you you know autoimmune disease is curable, uh, I mean it. There, you can reverse autoimmune disease. I, I see it every day. Like I say, fifty percent of my practice now is 
people wanting to get rid of their autoimmune disease. And they can't. Wow. And there's so much. That's a whole show. I won't. I'm tempted to veer into that, but that's not why we're here right now. Because that's a whole, there's so much amazing, so many people I talk to um, on a regular basis that have some sort of indicator of an autoimmune issue. And once again, I'm ripping out the first 30 or 40 pages and handing them this cookbook and say, do this. Talk to me in 90 days. It's really amazing. Um, Let's talk about, which will lead into the cookbook, because this is the answer, is can we repair from lectin damage? I mean, we get all this damage, we get all this gut stress, can we, we can reverse all that? That's a question. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Uh, and again, my my 101-year-old is is kind of a perfect example of that. You know, we're amazing creatures. Um, You know, uh, Hippocrates uh, used to talk about what was what was called the green life force energy of any any living thing, and that any living thing had this energy that wanted, if you will, to have perfect health, to be a perfect uh, animal. And Hippocrates felt that uh, the purpose of a physician was to identify the external forces that were keeping that person's green life force energy from shining and repairing things. And the physician, once he identified those things, he would teach the patient to remove these things. And the patient's green life force energy would take over. And the physician didn't have to do anything else. And one of the amazing things, you know, Hippocrates taught this 2,500 years ago, and he, he's absolutely right. Uh, once you remove these obstacles to uh, perfect health, we have the ability uh, to to do that. In fact, uh, tell you an interesting story. Oh gosh, ten years or so ago, I was approached by a Korean company that was uh, going to enter the stem cell market in the United States, and they approached me to become basically the the head uh, of their United States operation. And I didn't know much about stem cells back then. And I said, so let me get this straight. We're, we're going to take stem cells out and we're going to concentrate them. And then we're going to inject them back into people. And how do the stem cells know where to go? And they said, oh, well, you know, that's easy. They go where they're needed. And I said, well, let's see now. Hmm. We have stem cells in all of us. And because we're going to take them out and concentrate them. So if they're already there, uh, why don't I just, you know, take away the obstacles of repair and let the stem cells do their own thing. So I politely declined. But what I try to do is take away these obstacles to letting the stem cells do their thing. And 
one of the obstacles that I discovered very early on in all this was lectins. And people like Tony, the gentleman who I talked about in the plant paradox, who cured his vitiligo. Vitiligo is the pigment-losing disease that Michael Jackson had, for example. And uh, Tony taught me uh, by following my program as vitiligo disappeared. And I went, and he came running into my office to show me he had horrible vitiligo on his hands and his face. And in about six months of doing this, he comes running into my office. He said, look at this, you know, all of this pigment was back. And he said, how'd this happen? And, you know, I could have said, well, this is a very anti-inflammatory diet. But that was, you know, that, that was too easy. And so I said, hmm, uh, melanocytes are the cells in our skin that cause pigmentation. And they're actually modified nerve cells. And I go, why would he be attacking, you know, these modified nerve cells? And then I actually realized that plants' defense system against insects is to actually attack their nerves so they're paralyzed. And I go, son of a gun, you know, I've been taking plant lectins away from Tony, and now that they're gone, his stem cell melanocytes have repopulated and he's not constantly attacking them. And there we go. Um, it's funny. I've got this uh, beautiful young woman who luckily is blonde, but she has near total body vitiligo. And hmm. uh, she had, she had heard about me. And uh, so she's now growing uh, patches of, normal pigment uh, all over her body. She calls them, she calls them Gundry Islands. Uh, and you can actually watch <laughs> her pigment, her pigmented cells, you know, grow back in. Uh, so again, this is, this is back to Hippocrates, you know, pretty, pretty smart guy. So the whole point of this is if you, if re, if you remove the impediment, uh, even at a hundred years of age, you're, uh, it's kind of a hokey name, but it comes from Greek. It's green life force energy. And that's uh, all he did. And that's basically all I do is teach people how to avoid certain things. That's amazing. And don't I don't know do who I'm, I'm right. And don't do the rest. I can't remember who said uh, that, you know, given the opportunity, uh, the body will heal itself. And it seems yep. it, to me, from having talked to you at a, uh, several times and read a bunch of your material, that's really what this is, is you are giving the body, removing the stressors from the system so the body can actually do what it knows how to do, which is heal. It's yep. an amazing concept. Yeah, no, this is, that's exactly right. Um, there, was a, uh, there was a very famous uh, nun in the Middle Ages uh, called Helen of Bingen who had a convent in Germany and she actually practiced this principle of Hippocrates and she uh, people would come you know through from out to around the uh, Europe and Asia to be healed uh, by doing she did exactly what Hippocrates said she said I'm going to take away uh, things that are keeping you from healing yourself and you'll take care of it once I take these things away from you. So you know, there's ancient, you know, ancient wisdom here. And 
the the purpose of research is to research is to look again and you know when i met big ed i looked again and it's mm-hmm. like you know you can't see unless your eyes are open and most of us right. unfortunately don't have our eyes open when these things happen <laughs> right um let's jump into the in the time we have the cookbook and let's start with the plant paradox food pyramid because your pyramid is different than the standard USDA food pyramid. Yeah. Everyone has to remember the Department of Agriculture is in business of selling agricultural products. That's their job. And I, I don't blame them for that. But since we manufacture huge amounts of grains and beans, that's obviously the base of that pyramid is to have you basically 10 pieces of bread a day. Uh, please try that. You'll be so sick so soon. Uh, you'll be happy to operate on you. But anyhow, uh, the basis of my pyramid is we're actually designed to eat lots of leaves. We're actually designed to eat tubers, uh, things like yams, uh, things like jicama, uh, celerac root. We're actually designed to eat these things. And uh, in my next book, which will be out next year on longevity, uh, you'll see a lot of why you should be eating these things if you want to live a long time. Uh, so that's, that's the base of my pyramid. The second, which surprises most everybody when they look at the pyramid, is don't eat anything. Uh, the more I can convince people to skip meals or even skip an entire day of eating, the better their health will be. And this has been confirmed in in so many uh, studies, uh, hearkening back even to uh, Mormons who are in general very healthy, very long-lived individuals. The Mormons who uh, fast uh, one day a week Uh, live significantly longer than the otherwise very long-lived Mormons. And fasting uh, is so good for you that it's the second part of my pyramid. The the third thing that I really want people, uh, from my point of view, is the more olive oil I can get into their mouths, the better. In fact, one of my favorite sayings is the only purpose of food is to get olive oil into your mouth. (laughs) Uh, Olive oil, uh, and I mean that sincerely, Uh, olive oil, we now know, actually stimulates brain cells to grow and make connections. Uh, You can do this in the lab. You can do it in a human study. There was a study completed in Spain uh, just a couple years ago now where they took 65-year-old people and they followed them for five years, uh, looking at memory. And one group, they all ate a Mediterranean diet. It was Spain, after all. Uh, one group had, had to consume a liter of olive oil per week. Uh, that's about 12 to 14 tablespoons a day. That's a lot of olive oil. The second group had to eat uh, the equivalent calories in walnuts. And the third group had to eat equivalent calories in a low-fat. Mediterranean diet. And again, they were followed for five years. 
the olive oil group and the walnut group had better memory at the end of five years. The olive oil group did best. The walnut was right behind. The low-fat diet group actually lost memory, as you would expect uh, five years later at age 70. So, but these two groups actually gained memory being forced to have olive oil or walnuts. But what's really striking in that group is the olive oil group, the women in that group, had a 67% less incidence of breast cancer than either of the other two groups. And a subset of that study has now been published where the olive oil group had the lowest incidence of cardiovascular disease, stroke, heart attack, than either the walnut or the uh, low-fat group. So olive oil, the polyphenols in in olive oil are, I mean, miraculous. And then we go upward, um, fruits and berries. If you want them, please try to limit them to only in season. Uh, Our fruit has been engineered to be candy, and the more you consider it candy, the better. It turns out the sugar in fruit, fructose, uh, is a renal toxin. It kills kidneys really well. And I take care of a lot of kidney failure patients, and one of the first things I do is get them to give up fruit. Uh, Cancer cells Mm -hmm. actually enjoy fructose far more than glucose, and they use fructose to uh, grow and divide. So if you've got cancer and you're listening, please, 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 the first thing you want to do is give up fruit and seeded vegetables. Vegetables with seeds are not vegetables. They are fruits, and give them up. So those are really kind of way up at the top of the pyramid. Now, you do get to have some red wine or champagne as part of my pyramid, And then way up at the top are animal products, particularly beef, lamb, and pork, which have this funny sugar molecule in them that actually causes heart disease. Sorry about that. And also allows cancer cells to hide from our immune system. And we'd have to spend a whole hour talking about that. Uh, Interestingly enough, aged cheeses from Switzerland, France, and Italy Uh, may have some interesting life-extending properties. And there's a Mm. fascinating study out of Italy that men who eat aged Parmesan cheese have 40% longer lifespan than age-match controls who don't eat aged Parmesan cheese. So don't go rushing out and just start munching Parmesan cheese, but don't be afraid of it either. Wow. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. I can't help it. I'm going to I love parmesan cheese. It's a great flavoring agent on almost anything. Um yeah. so that's very exciting. Wow. Yeah. Uh, those Italians. Yeah, so it, those it, Italians. Yeah, the Italians yeah. are pretty smart folks. Yeah. And you know, in in the next in the next book on longevity, if if the cheese is stinky, Uh, please eat it. You're actually getting a huge benefit from that substance that makes the stinkiness. And I I won't tell you what it is. (laughs) It's a Mm. secret for now. Limburger. 
Limburger all around. <laughs> there you um, go. The stinkier, the better. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to I want to jump in and talk about some of these recipes. Uh, I have I went through the book and I ha- I have tagged pages which I will be cooking soon. Um, cheesy cauliflower muffins. You've got three words together oh, there to, yeah. to, to me are like a magic vortex. Of you know I like all <laughs> three of those and to put them together in one thing is like a miracle. So talk to us about how how do we you know why that. Because, again, that is such a great combination of things. And you end up with a thing that's kind of muffin-like. I mean, how did you do this? Well, one of the things I wanted to do in the, in the cookbook was uh, people have, you know, really embraced uh, the plant paradox. It's, it's become a mega uh, bestseller, and people wanted to, they knew something good was happening when they did this, but they also knew that they wanted to eat, you know, things that tasted good, but that was good for them. In other words, uh, what I tried to do in this cookbook is to make food you love that loves you back. And one of my favorite foods of all time is uh, Red Lobster's cheesy uh, muffins, the biscuits. Uh, I haven't had one, I think, in 15 years, but, you know, if you put them in front of me, I'd probably devour them, um, not knowing any better. Mm. So I wanted to get that kind of mouthful feel, that greasy, salty flavor in foods that were actually good for you. And so uh, I really I turned to uh, cauliflower and cheeses that are actually good for you. Um, for instance, goat cheeses or sheep cheeses or cheeses from France, Italy, or Switzerland are actually quite good for you. And so I tried to kind of duplicate uh, that mouthfeel and that texture and the taste in something that was really going to be easy to make and taste good. In fact, I was on a morning uh, show in Los Angeles uh, when the book first came out, and we made these for all the hosts and uh, one of the hosts uh, actually took the rest of the plate and said these are mine you know you can't have any more I you know I'm I'm already addicted so that's a good sign and so what we wanted to do with the cookbook is have foods that people you know literally comfort foods Uh, I grew up in the Midwest and many times those of us on the coast uh, forget that uh, the things that we think we can get every day at a grocery store may not be available in, say, Des Moines, Iowa. In fact, I was on an, um, an Iowa radio show this week uh, talking about this. Uh, so make waffles out of coconut flour and almond flour. You can make uh, pancakes. Uh, you can make uh, lemon poppy seed butt cake. Um, it's absolutely delicious. Um, we've got brownies that are made with sweet potato. Uh, so Chocolate cream pie. That's all I have to oh, say. Chocolate cream pie. Dear Lord. Yeah, we made that yeah. as well. And the, one of the other anchors <laughs> took the rest of that home. And the chocolate cream pie is made out of avocados. And don't wrinkle your nose up and say, what, avocados in a pie? No, no, no. 
we're using good fat in the avocado, you know, beautiful monounsaturated fats, just like olive oil. And it's got the rich, creamy, decadent texture of a chocolate cream pie with, you know, cacao, cocoa powder, and it's got an almond flour crust, and it's fabulous. And you go, holy cow, you know, here's food I love, but I, I'm going to feel the love back. Absolutely. And you, and you have pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pizza to me, to, pizza to me used to be a food group. It can again. I'm excited. <laughs> so talked about this That's amazing exactly pizza. Right. So this pizza was uh, was done by uh, one of my patients who uh, owns an incredibly popular Italian restaurant uh, in Palm Springs called Burba. And uh, she knew that I was not going to eat her pizza unless she came up with something I would eat. And there are a lot of cauliflower crust pizzas out there, but most of them are made with mozzarella cheese. Unfortunately, our American mozzarella cheese comes from the long breed of cow, and we'd have to do an hour show on that. But uh, she made it with uh, cauliflower and Parmesan cheese. There you go, one of our favorites. And it makes an absolutely delicious crust. And she was nice enough uh, to share her recipe. And uh, we adapted it for the everyday uh, cook absolutely great crust. So whenever I can go to her restaurant and have my pizza, which is not only not going to kill me, but actually improve my life because cauliflower, one of the brassica vegetables, is going to do so many amazing things for your health. Among other things, the, the brassica vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower actually tell immune cells that line your gut that it's okay, there's some really good stuff coming down the line, and you don't actually have to react to it. You can actually calm down. Uh, so really cool stuff. Really, we could uh, – I'll mention a, a note uh, that I really liked the ham, uh, what I called ham, but it's really prosciutto and cabbage prosciutto. Uh, braised together, which is a, an odd combination mm-hmm. – but I think that would be a stupendous side dish because it's a great combination of flavors because braising is a wonderful way to, you know, soften things and add a lot of flavor using broth. And to add prosciutto to that is like, wow, was that by an Italian chef or is that just, did somebody just come up with that? No, that's uh that was one. Um, we, we have a, uh, in the Gundry MD uh, kitchen, I have a wonderful collaborator who is a great chef. Um, Hello, Kate. And Kate and I work through all of these crazy recipes because, as you may or may not know, I have a YouTube channel where I'm cooking all the time, and I've been a, a cook all my life. My mother started teaching me, I think, before I could probably get out of diapers how to cook. And uh, thanks to my mother, I've been a cook all my life and um so kate and i just sit there and experiment and say hey this this might be How wonderful <laughs> How wonderful i'll mention that right away for people that there is he, you know dr gundry is prolific on youtube with uh cooking i mean there's a lot of great lectures but really uh be prepared to cook something because if you go to gundrymdyoutube.com 
man, hold on because you're going to be wanting to cook something. There's a lot of great food there. You just, I, I think <laughs> that the, the trick is, is that you'd have to just slightly change like the chocolate cream pie that's made with avocados. You have to just make it and eat it. Then think about the fact that you made it with avocados. Because the first time you do it, people are going to go, avocados, what? But just make it, serve it to people. Then tell them it's, you know, made with avocados after they've sucked down, you know, like many pieces. Yeah. Because the the flavors is stupendous. Yeah, stupendous. And how do you, I I can't believe I knew this was going to go fast. Do people still work with you? How can people still work with you? And where would you like to find more information about you? Well, they can probably the easiest way to find me is GundryMD.com. For a while, I stopped taking new patients. We had gotten to a six-month waiting list, and I I felt it really wasn't fair, but I've added uh, additional staff. A a wonderful physician assistant has joined me. And uh, so we are are taking new patients. and you can you can find out by either going to Gundry MD or you can write heartlunginstitute.com and uh, we can we can go there and see there and also heartlunginstitute at gmail.com will get you there. Lots of ways to find me. Great, great. Thank you so much, Doctor. This was <laughs> sometime you and I'll just do a food show. <laughs> that'd be a blast i can always talk about yeah. food um that's right One so that was really and, as you can tell yeah and it's well and, and it shows in the cookbook because it really is it, it's everything from uh prosciutto braised cabbage which not a lot of people would think of like really what does that even mean does that all, but it is all the way to the chocolate cream pie and the ginger brownies and, you know, bites of things that you can have that are still sweet and savory. It's not – you're not being deprived by eating this way right. is my view exactly from somebody right. who was in the yep. culinary world for a long time. There's no deprivation here. These are flavor-filled, nope. delicious, satisfying you know, great food. That's why I say I have to rip out the first 20 pages or so, then hand it to somebody and say, here, here's a great cookbook. Do this. So thank you so yeah. much. I'm so glad you thank bumped you. into Ed. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye-bye.